0: The subject for the evening talk is the unwelcomed mind. In the current issue of the uh, The Inquiring Mind which is the uh, newspaper for the the Dharma community, the Insight Meditation community, it covers and explores the relationship of meditation, and more specifically insight meditation, to psychotherapy. And a number of those who have been, uh, who are committed very much to inner work and inner exploration, using the vast repertoire of of resources of both insight meditation and uh, psychotherapy, have offered their various uh, views and opinions on the relationship between the two, on the differences between the two. And those that were um, interviewed, whose names many of you will be quite familiar with, um, are speaking very much from their, not only their observations, of course, but also very much from their personal experiences. And all of them have a very long standing commitment to inner inquiry, and the thought just arose just before walking in here that if all of them had been had spent the day in here today and uh, any other of the contemporary sages on things would probably also have had the same much the same kind of day as anyone else here and <coughs> And sometimes we think that when, or we know of other people many years of practice and spiritual work we, sometimes it, we might expect them to be uh, super marvelously clear from the, s- the moment uh, he or she first steps into the meditation room on the very first day. And unfortunately the overwhelming evidence is to show quite the contrary. <laughs> And I think this is a great um, source of uh, comfort <laughs> to those who are not only just beginning, but to those who uh, have um, also spent many thousands of hours developing an intimate relationship with the meditation cushion or stool. And, and in, in that respect, in coming into a retreat and this being the first full day of time here together that may have been for you a day in which you have experienced um, if you're lucky only one or two unwelcome mind states and could be a whole range of them so vast in number that they're not even recorded And these various mental states and emotions and experiences and thoughts which occur can, on face value, on the initial um, impact of them, be understandably rather disconcerting. They are um, unwelcome and one had hopes of uh, better things on a meditation retreat. And with with this, what very easily occurs if one is experiencing some uh, difficulty and particularly an alarming number of them, that the arising of these, I think very easily what happens is that from that experience, we then feel we have to quickly find a cause. And we find an immediate cause uh, for us, one which is close at hand, or one which is um, close to us insofar as it occurred recently. And the one which occurred recently is often, oh, I have been working so hard, and I've been terribly busy, and I have accumulated some stress, or I'm having a hard time in my job, in my relationship, or whatever it might be and, because of this, I am like this today. And this view, which we have, also becomes a way, a kind of comfort to us. Ah, now I know, it's because of this. And so, when we have that kind of uh, conclusion inside, then we follow that up and we say, well, it's my first time here, or (coughs) I've just done one or two, Retreat before, or this is my 2,370th retreat and it always takes me a long time to settle in. <laughs> and therefore, why should this retreat be any different from that one that I took in 1952? <laughs> and this then gives one a r- reason to view the beginning of the retreat in exactly the same way that one has viewed every other situation which one has come into and one is feeling wretched about. <laughs> so, and the other reason, which has probably run through um, all our thoughts, which only shows how um, um, paralytically similar we are, and that is, I'm like this because of the weather. And so this thought has gone through everybody's brain cells um, ever since they woke up this morning. And the weather, which is so often um, (laughs) victimised, as though it has some personal um, direction in life to persecute us and make our sitting and walking life as pathetically miserable as possible. And the fact that the thought may occur well, the, the, the Buddha and some of his associates um, seem to have sat in hot weather and survived. doesn't seem to give no much comfort to us when we're sitting in equally hot weather and trying to survive. So again, we, we say, oh, I'm feeling like this, I'm feeling so hot today or dry today or stuffy today or unclear today. It's because of the, because of the weather. So, then one has to think about if one pursues and maintains that kind of view it's going to be extremely difficult because we have no guarantee that the weather will change and there's not too much air conditioning available apart from in-breath and out-breath. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in this oversimplifications of things which take place I think what's important here, that if we say this is the cause, and it might be appropriate to say this is the cause, whatever it might be. In some situations like weather, obviously we can't do too much about. But when we say this is the cause, and right now, today, I am experiencing the effect of this cause, if we're going to look in that way, and the effect is I'm feeling distinctly uncomfortable, I don't like this, I'm feeling wretched, anxious, worried, fearful, greedy, aggressive, you name it, then it would seem therefore there would be some awareness and responsibility here to work and look at the causes. It doesn't seem to me enough in life to say well right now this is the effect and as it were, just settle in so that the effect is more bearable without actually looking at the impact of what produces the effect. So I think whenever you and I turn our attention as it may happen to cause and particularly oversimplification, with with that, then sometimes we may need and we have the time and the space during these days here to see and to go into it in with ourselves, if, if not with each other as well, what kind of changes that you and I may need to make if we are to live well, if we are to live brightly, if we are to live uh, intelligently and heartfully. So hopefully, with our first day here, we're not just coming in from this, I think, almost conditioned view of just settling in. Because in a way that's, in a way saying, well I'm trying to go from one kind of sensation which I am familiar with on the first day to another kind which I'm familiar with on the second day, on the third day, on the fourth day or whatever. And I think we tend in this regard frequently to live with a great deal of hope in this world and optimism and I almost dare stick my neck out here and say it's a little bit of a cultural phenomena here in, um, in my visit here of, uh, of an optimism in life about the future and this helps release a dynamic and an energy with people which is very wonderful but I think spiritually speaking and uh, in in an investigative way I would like us to cut off our hopes in terms of tomorrow. Cut them off so ruthlessly in a way which says no time for settling in because I don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow to settle into that really this is it. And come as it were as much as possible from That position, psychological position, shall we say, that kind of attitude of heart and mind, this is it. And thus when we hear the language, uh, the Dharma language, the language of be here and now, it really means that as much as we can understand what that means then the idea of settling in is appropriate t- to use in different ways but the, 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 the axe to grind is one which, which is, has uh, an immediacy to that and trusting and staying with that immediacy. A couple of the things which we notice in our mind, and I th- think one of the things with the mind is that the d- descriptions of them, I mean, the descriptions of states of mind, are multiple in number. So if, if you look today at, the, at the your day-to-day, if I look at my day-to-day, I might say of myself, well, today I was feeling uh, Dull or tired. I was feeling uh, restless. I was fi- um, feeling uh, need to settle in. I was feeling this. I was feeling that. We well, give many. And some of you in the small groups have spoken ab- about feeling um, anxiety, feeling pain, um, feeling um, negative and judgmental, feeling wanting of this, wanting of that. So the immediate is experience of a range of differences in what we experience. And I wonder, just for, um, a simp- in a simple way, can we kind of reduce or bring that down to what's been happening with us and define it much more simply? And there are different ways to do this, and one way that we might do this, is if we look at today, what have we noticed in terms of the desire? That means simply means, what is it that I have been experiencing that I have wanted and haven't gotten? What, what have I actually, what kind of movement, what have I noticed inside of myself today that I have wanted and what I have wanted actually hasn't been forthcoming for me today. The moment that you and I are actually aware of that, I want something and I'm not getting what I want, we might say at that time it's an unwelcome condition to be in. And the more you and I have invested in what I want for me today, Will only, and we have not succeeded, the more dissatisfaction will be shown to us. So if I really want something, and I'm just not getting that which I want, that's the breeding ground like mosquitoes in a swamp for unsatisfactoriness, pain, frustration, disappointment, failure, agitation, and all the other descriptions that we give not being able to get what we want. And mercifully in this universe there are laws of the nature which says no way are you going to get what you want. No way can we keep fulfilling what we want because mind, body, environment, universe, universe itself cannot match the force of human desire it can't match it so our experience of suffering or our experience of dissatisfaction is a way of the universe if to put it in a kind of cosmic language <laughs> you throw your own word in is a way of the universe or the nature or the way things are, or the dharma, or whatever, telling us that there is some imbalance inside of ourselves with regard to what we want. (coughs) So, in a way, the difficult experiences, the unwelcome experiences can be viewed from the standpoint of a teaching of the universe. How receptive are we to those teachings of the universe? <coughs> sometimes, and I just take it a little bit on the other. one level here, sometimes we notice that what we want, we might call for what we notice in ourselves today is in the consumer plane. And if the 1980s have any ongoing characteristic for them, in, uh, I would say it's been characterised with consumerism. It has run rampant through the planet, and all everywhere. So, uh, an enormous tragedy. I mean, very ma- valuable and meaningful things taking place, but consumerism has surely been a feature of it, and all the consequences that go with it. And sometimes we notice in ourselves our mind is trapped in that mode, conditioned socially by that mode. Sometimes that shows itself in our relationship to heat, which after all, experientially, is a certain kind of sensation on the body and the desire for s- some life to be as we want so easily produces reactions to the way things are. And this, con- this effort of human beings to have everything just so, just as I would like, is putting our planet and our people under intolerable strain. So let's if we can, let's let's see when, in terms of the climate and the, the days are unfolding, whether we can be inwardly comfortable with the kind of sensations that emerge out of the body when we're sitting and walking in a hundred degrees. And sometimes it's valuable, especially at this time of the world to open heart out in such a situation and just bring to mind countless numbers of people and all the creatures, as much as anything else, who suffer through this heat and have no water. One of the other areas too which we notice with ourselves and the desire and the movement to not only in the world of consumer and comfort and having things a certain kind of way in life, but also that kind of desire showing itself as how I think my meditations should be. This this the retreat could be a nightmare if this desire persists too much, too long, too strongly. And so sometimes we come into a retreat and the movement of it is born out of memory. How much the memory comes in and says, I would like it to be this way, I've had this experience and it just isn't like it today or tomorrow or whatever. So not only is a kind of austerity asked to us about letting go of hope for tomorrow, letting go of memory and past as well. Give me me just say another, one or two other areas too. Just so, just, they're just as it were simple things being pointed out, fairly obvious, fairly self-evident, for us to catch with ourselves what kind of movement is going on within ourselves. Just to be able to catch and see and see that which is occurring. Just recently, if I just uh, just, just move a little bit here. Just recently, um, in coming to America, I love coming to love coming to America. I've um, been more than twenty times, and uh, over the last years, and in a Tea shop in Bodhgaya in India, Jamie asked me to come to the to the West Coast to give the retreats with him and so i 've been coming since eighty uh, two and it 's rather interesting as you know that when you've been, when you 're out of a country if you 've been there and then you come back in to pay a visit you know from time to time, sometimes you get uh, somewhat different perspectives on situations and Similarly, when friends from overseas come to England, they will talk about things which I, would never occur to me. And a, An example um, was uh, Joanna, Joanna Macy, who a number of you know. She came to spend to give some workshops in England. And the weather was in the, the, what I would call typically uh, <coughs> pathetic there. And... <laughs> And she was speaking about, oh, your lovely sweet English drizzle, you know. <laughs> and in my whole life, I never had a thought which remotely approached <laughs> that. You know, so someone comes in and just mentions something, eh, right. You know, so, after she said this, I went outside and, with my umbrella and my raincoat and my Wellington boots and came, sweet English drizzle, sweet English <laughs> drizzle. So sometimes other person can have an appreciation of something in the moment. And one, and one finds, one can't see in, in just in, in that way. And I think some of the th- things which, um, an example which um, um, comes, comes to mind here, and it's around desire and sensuality and uh, sexuality, that there's a remarkable degree of And it's surprising, because it doesn't fit generally, degree in America of um, conservatism, conservative attitude. And this this really concerns me, because what I notice here, that frequently, the desire, and to talk about sex, sexuality, sexuality and violence, tend to get lumped together, sex and violence. And I think it's a tragedy that the media has manipulated people's consciousness into putting these two together as somehow being unacceptable. And one of the ways that this shows itself is that there can be an alarming degree of allowance for one and a non-allowance for the other. And I think this can show itself in what happens in our uh, mind. What I have, the example I have here, a couple of years ago, I bought, um, um, uh, I saw a television set for sale in the local town for £30. So I bought this um, TV set home, and I have a young daughter. And you probably probably have ha- had this experience. The you, you, first time you, you put the television on, you know, that you've just got this the goggle box in your place so you're very curious and the very first thing that came on the screen was um, uh, a program, a show, it was from the the States the very first thing was one guy butting with the head, another guy in the head, the first thing I saw when I switched on the set was (laughs) this you know I think it was from one of these programs you know um, Miami Vice or one of you know, these programs m- um, made for those suffering with senility. And <laughs> this, this program came on the very first thing and it struck me how we get used to violence <coughs> and all the expressions on it and not be touched by it. You know, can watch Rambo, you know, while eating one's popcorn without a thought about it. And how, say in the areas say of sexuality, let, let us say beautiful things of human intimacy, that on normal gen- television stations, the big ones, is just not visible. Whereas another in Europe, I'm going to find out in English. BBC, television, and the uh, other nationwide channels, and in Europe, sexuality, sexual intimacy, nakedness, after, I think, 9pm in the evening, is, is quite normal. So, and unfortunately, what easily happens is that violence gets to be so normal, and when there's something in other areas, there's a human cry about it. And I think in awareness and in our observation, do we subscribe to that? And then this shows itself with all the public figures having their past lives investigated. The planet's dying and we're wondering whether somebody said yes or no seven years ago. (laughs) So some kind of change inside in terms of here and now, and our awareness of here and now, I think also includes the way that our own movement of force and desire occurs and how that shows itself and being aware. Is it showing that we're just terribly conditioned by our environment? How, fee- how free do we feel inside of ourselves with regard to the movement of wanting, of liking and not liking. How feel inside, deep down inside of ourselves do we feel with regard to I want? And if we ask ourselves, is when this I want comes up and we just stop for a moment and we say to ourselves, is this I want really so typical? Is it a really socially conditioned want which has been pumped in through my eyes and my ears and my brain cells it, and, and am I fixed in that same mode of wanting? So I feel and re- would say that the first day of a retreat is as valuable, as useful, as creative, as marvellous an opportunity for insight, for clarity, for knowledge, as any other moment of the retreat. And I don't think you and I have to concern ourselves with settling in because I think enough has occurred for all of us today to find out a great deal. question is, have we been appreciating what's been going on with us today or we just feel what we're waiting for tomorrow? and to be very honest with ourselves with that. (coughs) In terms of the, the not liking, and then I'll talk about the, the, some little bit if I may, for a few minutes, about the drowsiness and the tiredness and the low energy. I'll just touch on the not liking. Here's wanting which is liking, I'm going for. I'm not saying that one shouldn't do that in life, or that's a no-no in any way, but be aware of what we drive ourselves towards, what we move towards in life. And the other is, it's opposite. Opposite in so far as not wanting, not liking, of avoiding, of keeping away from and that kind of movement which we observe in and with regard to ourselves and what that shows to us. So if you think about today and you just reflect for a moment of what would you say stands out for you with regard to not liking, not wanting, resisting, avoiding, what, 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 what content, what, what emerges in that. Well. Now, in, sometimes we notice, and probably the most common one of all, is uh, the pain when sitting. It's the kind of high talking point of the mind. All the other traumas and dramas of life, planetary issues, global issues, and uh, personal issues and what's going on around, pretty well fade into (laughs) insignificance (laughs) when there's a knee pain. Nothing else matters in the whole of creation except this knee pain and my relationship to it. And in that the whole universe has, understandably, shunken down to this particular point and what is one going to do about it. And in a way, one could say that this pain, this point, is a remarkable clue, an opportunity into understanding pain at its wider level. Rather depends on the relationship. What we think, what we, and, we, and the ideas that we tend to get when you're sitting, you've got this, this, the pains there in the knee or in the um, ankle. It could be any, any part of the body. Uh, people have said to me and the other teachers on retreat, I'm sitting everywhere, honestly, is just great. All peace, harmony, <laughs> no pain, but my hands are on fire. And sometimes I say, how could that possibly be? A person's hands are on fire and someone else says, you know, some other part of uh, the body's in- causing me terrible pain or whatever it might be. So, wherever the location is, generally speaking, we say, I've got this pain and if I didn't have this pain, my meditations would be so blissy. <laughs> and all I've got to do when I'm here is to get rid of this. And this view becomes a very strong view inside of ourselves. If if I didn't have this issue in my life, then everything would be just so hunky-dory and I'd be so enlightened and people would love me so much more. Uh, Because of this one phenomena. And all I have to say is bring the bad news. If it's not one thing, it's another. This will go away, even if it's only when you go to sleep at night. And it will be, in some form or other, most likely reborn tomorrow morning. (laughs) And so, in a meditation retreat, where pain and discomfort and things like that arise, that either we can say, I'm going to spend all of my retreat trying to get rid of this, push this away, deny this, stop this. Or perhaps this needs to be included in life's experience. And so as much as possible with our meditations and with our uh, awarenesses and observations, the outlook and attitude of including as much as possible what's occurring for us. That receptivity which says that pain is present at least at times and at least to varying degrees. And one of the things which, with pain and the experience of it, is that we start off not easy to follow this now, but we start off with the thought and le- a belief that there is the pain and this pain is there and I am reacting because of the pain this pain is causing me a problem and it's very hard to look at a situation like that and in a, a completely different way and that's what challenge of inquiry is because I certainly hope you're not sitting here waiting for me to offer you some different way of looking at it so when you are sitting, and at some point in your sitting and you are experiencing some pain in the body somewhere and you're saying and and you can feel inside of yourself the wish, the desire for it to go away or the thought that comes, if I didn't have this pain I could really get into this and be Buddha-like, and, and, and become like a stone Buddha, if, if I just didn't have this pain, to actually stop and say, can this experience, which I'm thinking about in my typical way, be looked at completely differently? Can I look, can I regard, what I interpret as a pain, in a completely different way. View the whole thing quite differently from the old one which says, there is this pain and it is causing me so much trouble. It might give us the opportunity to open out our whole sense of life. One other uh, area to touch upon, if we're touching on the the force of the wanting mind and not getting what we want, we've touched a little bit on reaction and disliking and blaming and saying this is the cause of whatever. Another is the drowsiness and the tiredness which comes. And even just sitting here that uh, gradually the horizontal posture I notice around the room becomes (laughs) increasingly more attractive And if I carry on, I'm not going to carry on much longer, but if I was to another half an hour, I think we could probably have half the room horizontal. (laughs) This only reflects the length of the day, the heat of the 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 sunshine, and probably says even more about the talk. But anyway, I'm (laughs) I'm trying not to take it personally. And so this feelings of tiredness and drowsiness which occur. In this these this period of time I was feeling quite tired and quite, uh, quite drowsy, that you're sitting there um, cross-legged or uh, in the chair, and then suddenly there's this kind of fade-out, and one starts you know, oscillating back and forth. <laughs> sometimes you would think there's so many doing it that there must be a choreographer going, <laughs> 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 however, there isn't. And sometimes people have come into a retreat for the first time, and they see these very serious looking meditators who are sitting like this and they look like they're really going somewhere and basically they're going near the, fl- the carpet <laughs> and they're su- swinging and you might think that this is an expression of very profound deep samadhi <laughs> uh, and uh, this is the fruition of 20 years of practice and <laughs> At the summit, is it's not that it's not. (laughs) And in that, if you are feeling some tiredness or exhaustion with the uh, with the meditations, then working with that as much as possible. That means to uh, sit with the uh, say eyes open. I sometimes find I was doing today, sitting and just stretching my arms. um, above the head or sitting with the hands on the knees or whatever. I mean they're very simple devices. The important thing is that with that is here's a state of being exhaustion, tiredness, dullness, cloudiness or whatever. But the heart still finding in itself some willingness to work with the given. To actually work with it. I think that heart's willingness to do that is the beautiful thing. It may not be that one can dispel the tiredness and the cloudiness or whatever. It may be in some cases, as one or two of you reported, if you're totally tired, that the appropriate thing is to go and take a rest and lie down and have some sleep and let the energy come back. That may be appropriate. But the thing is, if you do that, Very quickly, it becomes a habit. Very quickly, so you say, after the evening talk, you're feeling very tired. Oh, I think I'll have an early night tonight and start tomorrow morning. Fine. But the mind is so quick to leap into patterns. And so come tomorrow evening, (laughs) after we've succeeded in making you tired once again, eight o'clock, you think, oh, I'm so tired. I think I'll just have one more night, and the pattern's already got underway. It's so quick for this to occur. So again, if you take a nap, you take a rest, be especially watchful the same time the next day that the mind isn't already forming habit. This practice is towards liberation, liberation of the grip of the past, liberation from the holding patterns, letting that heart's willingness in the present to work with the living be in contact with the present situation explore that without the, the shadow of the old is this is what meditation work is about in that if you're feeling tired and exhausted one of the ways which one can explore is to stand up in the meditation room just just do some standing um, meditation and eyes can be open, closed, whatever mindfully breathing in, mindfully breathing out helps to keep the uh, uh, energy flowing all again expressions of here's the given, here's the working with it if this tiredness, exhaustion continues it goes into the second day, it goes into the third day goes into the fourth day and if it's accompanied with say a lot of boredom you know, everywhere else in the universe is preferable to the Angela Center. <laughs> if you, n- you, get, you get that message coming through there. It's not to say that the Angela Center is Nirvana, um, but if you get that tiredness and boredom and that, it might be an indicator one is not dealing with something underneath it. Sustained boredom is often a mask negativity, anger and other feelings. So again, in keeping in touch with oneself, particularly boredom and tiredness, there may be something else which is going on which needs to be looked at and looked at carefully and somewhat seriously. Or sometimes with boredom it's simply some kind of attitude of mind, just through the repetition, just through a certain, and this particularly those who've done retreats before here, a certain kind of familiarity with the processes can very easily contribute to dullness of mind, dullness of heart. And I think if one loses one's uh, spark here and um, enthusiasm and feeling for meditative processes and for living with the present, then one needs to be just checking in with the attitude of mind here. What is th- what is the attitude of mind I'm bringing to this situation? You know? Is it that feeling so comfortable, it's making me rather slothful, it's making me somewhat apathetic or indifferent? And therefore, I'm, not, I'm neither paying respect to myself through that and I'm certainly not paying respect to others or the teachings or the teachers or the staff or the environment or whatever it is. So again, that sometimes I'm really stepping back and looking and seeing, well, what's my attitude towards what's happening here? So there's just this vigor and alertness and interest in this. No matter how many years of practice you've, 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 you've done, that's got nothing to do with... Attitude of mind. Not a healthy attitude of mind. Healthy attitude of mind doesn't know a past. So our situation today, with our tirednesses and with our not liking and resistances, with some of, with the desire and the wanting, they're all opportunities for us they're all teachings, the real teachings are going on there for us. And the best that we can do as so-called teachers here is to, as clearly as well as possible, to give your reminders, to give ourselves reminders, to keep the focus there, to keep the being in touch with what's going on as a predominant thread and theme. Because in all of this work, finally, it's not just for you and for me. If you and I are cutting out some of our consumerism, living less aggressively, exploring the intimacies of life, exploring what it means to live with pain in life, and to find the joy and challenge in life, if you and I engage in that, that has a, that's a wonderful communication for other people. It's a wonderful communication to the rest of life, to the environment, to the, to the planet itself. So I feel that these, these gatherings which we have here together for a, a few days are not just about your practice, my practice, and whatever, whatever that means. I think there's, a, there's a, a, a clear and distinct larger dimension to it if you and I give real care to what we're doing here with the silences and with the stillnesses and with the explorations and the meditations, something in consciousness which just, just quite easily begins to show itself that there's a much larger sphere going on than just a handful of human beings spending a little time together. It goes much, much wider than this. And all of us are co-creators of that. All of us are making it happen together. And therefore, being a good friend to ourselves here, so important, being a good friend to each other, and trusting in all of that has such beautiful widespread ramifications. Then we speak of hope. Then hope begins. May all beings see into themselves. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings abide.